0: In today's episode of the Sixers Beat, Rich and I go over the Sixers' overtime loss to the Milwaukee Bucks, including Ben Simmons' success, defending Giannis, the team's half-court offensive struggles over the last two games without Joel Embiid, and how this all might factor in when the Sixers reach the playoffs. We then go over the trade which saw the Bucks acquire P.J. Tucker, discussing how that might impact a potential playoff matchup, and also what that signals for next Thursday's trade deadline. If you're not already an Athletic subscriber, head on over to The Athletic dot com slash Sixers Beat, where you can get 50% off of a yearly subscription. Enjoy the podcast. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. You know, we are coming off of a uh what they had had a 6 game winning streak that was ended on Wednesday night with a 109 to 105 loss to the Milwaukee Bucks after winning two straight uh their first two games without Joel Embiid during the stretch they did eventually fall in a game that was much more competitive than i think most of us would have expected maybe not better played we'll get into that certainly throughout this podcast but how you doing rich
1: I'm great man the i think you summed it up pretty well coming into that game i did not think It was going to be that competitive. No.
0: If you took a step back and just said the Sixers beat the Spurs, beat the Knicks, took the Bucks to overtime without Joel Embiid, you'd say that's freaking fantastic. That is everything you could have hoped for. And to be quite clear, like being two and one. I'm going to say that today. Yeah. I'm going to say that
1: today. After we saw it happen, I'm going to say that was fantastic.
0: Being two and one at this stretch and having come close to the Bucks is best case scenario. The path to that point was a little bit frustrating, especially on Wednesday night. And we will get into that. Um, but where they are at and the overall, when you zoom back, uh, they are in a, a, a good spot. They are now tied for the one seed in the Eastern Conference. The first time since January 19th that they haven't held that outright, uh, which is pretty incredible. You don't usually hold the number one seed for that long. Um, you know, you're talking about almost two months now where they have been the top seed in the Eastern Conference. At that point, I think they were nine and five or something, and Boston was eight and four. So that sort of shows you how long ago that was and what Boston's gone through since then in the ever-evolving Eastern Conference. I guess that pulls the Bucks to within, what, two games? Two, I think. Or yeah. No, they were at two. I don't It doesn't matter. There's a lot of games left. But yeah, if you're looking at it from the perspective of they had to get through basically to April without Embiid, and hopefully at that point you get Embiid back a two-one stretch here to start, like we looked at at the beginning. If they could go four and six over that ten-game stretch, that would be a good spot where they could they could recover from. So uh, yeah, an overall good win or good good game, good game.
1: Yeah, and it was frustrating to have the Bucks shoot like they did one in for the first seventeen
0: half. in the first half. Yeah.
1: Some of that was the Sixers' defense. Some of that was they just couldn't buy one.
0: There, there are other aspects of the Sixers' defense which was key in that first half. I think they had like 13 turnovers. Bucks did a lot of that was because of the, the Sixers and their pressure. A lot of Giannis Giannis only having four shots was a lot of the Sixers' defense. When a team gets up 17 three point shots, a lot of them are going to end up being good. The Sixers certainly got lucky, and that sort of there was I don't want to say an, a, a sense of impending doom because that's too strong. But there was a sense of, well, if the Sixers don't sort of turn this around, second half might not go quite as easily. And you just hoped, especially with the Sixers being on the second half of a back-to-back and not having that rest and being without Embiid, you hoped that they could find some half-court offensive execution because the Bucs were going to play better. Giannis was going to score more than four points in the second half and end up scoring 28. And, you know, the Bucs weren't going to shoot that bad. You hoped the Sixers had enough left in their tank on the second half of a back-to-back. And they just never really got their offensive game going, uh, and, and and it was a a weird end. Like, there were a lot of poor decisions on both teams, a lot of poor execution on both teams, but it was, yeah, I don't know. It, it's one of those games where, like, you're watching it unfold, and you're watching that lead reach 19 in the second half, and you're watching it just get chipped away the entire second half, and it's frustrating, and, like, you're picking apart every... Bad pass, every turnover, every missed shot. Um, they had one stretch there in, I think it was overtime, where Green had two open threes and Cork had an open three all in the same possession because they got the long rebounds, missed like three threes in 20 seconds, and Giannis went down and made a pull up three, and it was like, all right, maybe it's just not going to be their night. You can nitpick a lot of what happened in the second half, but it wasn't one of those games where you walk away from them and go, well, that, that, that reveals a huge problem. Um, it, was, it was a good, it was a fine performance and a loss. I don't know what else to say.
1: Yeah, and you know the things that you can nitpick. I would say specifically the half court offense. Oh yeah,
0: their their worst half court offensive game of the season per cleaning glass seventy two point four. I think I'm looking off the top of my head of seventy two point four points per one hundred possessions in the half court or one hundred plays. I want to be clear on that. Um, not great, uh, and by not great I mean downright terrible. Uh, like I said, you knew that that the Sixers had to start executing in the half court and they just never did. And that was a a tough game for them. Milwaukee is a good defense. uh, And Giannis presents some problems for the Sixers perimeter players. But yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead.
1: Well, the Sixers half court offense was sitting on the bench in slippers. Yeah. So
0: yeah, Doc had a, Doc had a quote before this started, um, before the Knicks game, the first game without, or before the Spurs game, the first game without Joel. And they said, well, what are you going to learn about your team during the stretch? He's like, I don't know. This isn't my team. Like my team is with Joel. And there certainly is a sense like we can talk about the, the deficiencies that they had if they're the deficiencies that you have in the playoffs and you're effed anyway because you don't have Joel Embiid.
1: Yeah. Um. So, so I guess the place to start is with Ben. Very up and down game, depending sure. on what half of the court you were on.
0: I, I called it. Yeah, it was a 50-50 game. He was great at 50% and just a terrible at the other 50%. Yeah.
1: So overall average, yeah, that's uh, that's how it worked, and it was, you know, it was it was a little discouraging. I I thought his offense was really bad. Yeah, (laughs) and probably
0: probably worse than the numbers even suggest. He ended up with thirteen points on six for sixteen shooting, twelve assists, ten rebounds, and seven turnovers—the emptiest triple double offensively, at least that he has probably ever had. Uh, and actually, now that I read those off, the numbers are pretty bad anyway. So I don't, want, I don't don't know if it's worse than numbers suggest because of numbers like 13 points on 16 shots and seven turnovers, never with a great the, night at
1: the office with the bullshit three yeah. at the end,
0: which, which bullshit looks fucking fine. Fu- I don't want to get into that. I had a tweet last night where I'm like, I think Ben might actually be a better shooter than Giannis at this point. Just we'll never know. Cause he never takes him in game. And I think a lot of people took that as me praising Ben. It's like, no, that's, that's me saying like the form is good enough you should be able to stand in the corner and shoot once a game. Uh, and I think he might actually have a respectable percentage. Like if he just stood in the corner, didn't think about it, let it fly on the once a game, it can get kicked to him. I think he might be able to hit 30% of those pretty easily. Does that, and a lot of people are like, oh, well, you can't say that. Giannis just owned him. That's not what I'm freaking saying. Um, I'm just saying, I think his form looks better. His touch might be better than Giannis. I don't want him shooting pull up threes, but like go stand in the corner every now and then. I think, I think he's ready for that. He's, I just don't think confidence-wise he's ready for that.
1: Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I've been saying that for years that I think his form is, well, while not perfect, it's smooth enough and it's, uh, I guess it's short enough where, where there's not a lot of room for mistakes. You look at Giannis' shot, man, oh, he's he's dipping. There's... It's like,
0: he for, like halfway through, he just forgets what he's supposed to do and he just kind of knuckles it down. And he still yeah. takes it. And like a lot of people will say, well, if you ask Ben to shoot, that's what it's going to look like. No, I, that was sort of the point of my tweet. I think it might actually look better than that, especially if you're just talking about from the corner on the catch. But we don't, I mean, <laughs> we always get sucked into the trap of every time he makes a three pointer, we've got to talk about that three pointer and jump shot. It's just, it's frustrating. Cause I do think he can make a spot up corner three.
1: Well, and you have a game last night where Giannis plays 10 feet off of him the entire game. I don't know, maybe eight feet off of him. He is at the free throw line the entire game. The other thing the Bucks were doing, which was very effective. They had drew holiday on Tobias Harris for most yes. of the game and they were able to switch that. And whether it was Ben posting up drew, you know, Tobias going one-on-one on Giannis, it, Tobias rough scoring night in terms of creating his own shot one-on-one didn't do it quite as well as he did expertly the night before against the Knicks hey that might be back to back that might be a step up in competition i don't know it's it's an nba regular season um i'm not too worried about it but he also missed open shots as well yeah um so there was that and ben just couldn't make it happen against giannis was just at the end of the game was not or not even at the end of the game for most of the game was not even attacking him did Ben shoot zero free throws?
0: I believe so. I think the only I mean, the team shot eight. Yeah. So. Um, the only, the only, the starting lineup only got three, the one technical from Curry in the first half and then two from Tobias. Yeah. Ben shot zero free throws. I don't, yeah. I don't and think you, he and shot that many the previous game either. Did he?
1: No. And yeah, sneakily. I, I didn't think he was.
0: Yeah. One. Uh, it was a
1: great offensive game for him. The, uh, the night before against New York either. Um, uh, san antonio game everybody was cooking including him the uh yeah the sixers they shot eight free throws doc rivers complained after the game there were a lot of people who complained on on twitter in my mentions i gotta say watching it live i don't know where people think these free throws are coming from it's like the uh it's like the guy who says you know, I really don't like to complain about the refs, but but every sometimes. time the Sixers lose a game, it's I don't like to complain about the refs, but they really suck. I mean, you know, were there individual instances of of some tough calls? Like uh, I I could do without the the Middleton in jumping into Dwight Howard thirty feet. Uh, three pointer, but that's more of an NBA problem, than, right The problem is than that specific game the problem is that, that that
0: is the interpretation of the rule. It's a bad interpretation. I had some people say Dwight went straight up and landed in this no, no, they, he, did. he went he forward did. and once that I just defender, don't like the rule once that defender moves forward, the offensive player it is a legal move for them to jump directly towards the rim to draw that contact. I don't think it should be a legal move, but the NBA has been pretty consistent in calling that at least, so it's more like that is something they need to change than a incorrect call in that instance. Yeah. And jump but, should, uh, he should have jumped forward. Like in that situation, in that spot, you know, he's going to try to draw that foul. Like Dwight's got to be smarter. Put your hand up. Don't jump. If you do jump, make damn sure you're going straight up. Don't put yourself in a spot where he can draw that. Very. And honestly, I think that sort of started Milwaukee because I was right at the end of the third quarter. I think that kick started their run a little bit. I mean, those were three big points for sure.
1: Sure. The, the Series had some dumb plays while the Bucks were struggling. You know, Simmons let Con- Connaughton get an offensive rebound at the end of the half. I, I guess maybe he missed both of those, so uh, it didn't quite matter as much. But uh, yeah, I mean, every point counted in, a, in an overtime game. The uh, So so just back to the free throw shooting in general, though, you know, you, you had been playing dribble handoff for most of the game. You had Tobias and and him, you know. Getting switched with Drew and Giannis, Ben shooting hook shots, and yeah. you know maybe there was the one where he drove on Drew. Although that, that kind of looked like an offensive foul to me in in transition. But so if Ben's not drawing fouls, if you have Tobias shooting mid range jumpers and and runners, if you have Furkan getting a, the lion's share of the overtime, when Furkan's
0: your closer, you're probably not going to draw that many fouls. Yeah, that Which, is a very fair point
1: when you have fucking Dwight shooting 18 footers and 20 footers for most of the game, you're probably not going to shoot too many free throws. So yeah, the Sixers offense bogged down. Um, You know, I, I I wish Ben would have found a little more of a way to score. You know, look, I, we're going to talk about his defense in a minute, but Giannis found switches and found ways to eventually score. And Giannis is, one of the best five players in the world. So that's that's what he does. But you just wish, after some of the games, like after the, the game in Utah against Gobert, after some of the more aggressive stretches of basketball, I, I didn't think Ben, I, I think he kind of just resorted to the dribble handoff game. And to be fair, like the Sixers missed some shots and, and part of uh, his game, he was part of the reason that they were getting open threes and driving kick. But I I just wish there was a little bit more of a diversity to his skill set. So, yeah, I I guess that's
2: where I'm at for his his game. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus Twenty-one plus to wager. Visit mgm.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in DC, Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred GAMBLER. In Colorado, DC, Illinois, Indiana. Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call one 877 8 hope or text hope Y. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah and other states where prohibited. Commercial offers not available. In Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager.
0: Yeah, especially because he had that stretch there where there was a little more diversity to his skill set um, earlier in, in, in February and early March. Um, s- certainly before the, the All Star break, he was playing some of his best basketball. In that regard, this was a tough matchup for him. It's a tough one,
1: yeah. That's they have good defensive personnel.
0: They oh, like. and, and they're they're theoretically. Uh, I don't know how much PJ Tucker has left in the tank, uh, and how much of that was just he's playing on the Rockets without James Harden. He doesn't give a shit anymore, and that will be interesting to see. But if he if he does come back, they have an even more switchable lineup, which will be interesting because they have never really switched all that much. Uh, it's tough to do that with Brooke Lopez there in the center, so they have avoided that. Now they have a little more personnel. Which I mean, that could be a real good defensive team and a real tough defensive team in the playoffs. It was it was a tough defensive team, certainly for Ben Simmons last night. But um, you need you do need more out of him for sure, for sure. And that is the um, that is the trouble with Simmons. He was utterly fantastic. And you know, you talked about Marcus All being um, you know the the end game boss for Joel Embiid. Well, Giannis defensively is sort of like the end game boss for Ben Simmons. He's never had any real success against him. You know, two years ago, I think it was when Giannis dropped 52 in Milwaukee, they switched and they started putting Joe on him because Ben just didn't have, he got bullied every time he tried to defend Giannis one-on-one. So for him to come out and really shut Giannis down in the first half and cut off his driving lanes and match his physicality and keep him from getting three feet from the basket, it was real impressive to see. And he had some possessions where he stood him up not once, not twice, but three times in the course of a possession. Uh, And it was it was a real good defensive performance to then mirror that with an equally bad offensive performance in a game where you don't have very many options outside of him, especially when Curry leaves with seven plus minutes left in the fourth quarter. um, It's it's the Ben Simmons experience. It really is. Yeah, he is. Offensively, he is. It always seems like he is one bad game away from taking some of that progress and going backwards.
1: Yeah. Uh, Again, I'm not discouraged overall from what we saw. And like you said, I I think the main positive is that his defense on Giannis, like Giannis was putting him in the basket a couple of years ago. This is not, you know, when Ben usually guards these guys on the perimeters, it's that he's able to, I don't know, that that he's able to move his feet and, and get around screens and, Give uh give length to these smaller guards. Um, usually, it's it's more of a guard oriented thing with him, in terms of like chasing guys around in the perimeter. With Giannis, it's pretty simple. It's when he drives into the paint, when he gets, I don't know, eight nine feet away from the basket, and you know he does the spin move or he puts his shoulder in you or whatever. The answer to whether you can guard him or not is pretty simple. One, you have to be able to move your feet well enough. And that's, you know, I think there are a decent amount of players who can do that. But the the question is is really simple when it comes to guarding him. When he makes that move to put his shoulder into you or spin, do you stand your ground or do you fly eight right. feet back? Ben was in the latter category before. What we saw last night, he moved into the Joel category yep. where Giannis was not able to move him, and that's that's awesome. That's that's a big deal. In a Uh,
0: seven-game playoff series, when you've got Joe back and you've now got another option to defend Giannis, that would be enormous. It would be enormous for sure.
1: That that is a huge deal. He, uh, I mean, he made him look bad a couple times, like Giannis shooting fadeaways and kind of looking stuck under the basket and looking for bailout passes. And and I thought the, the Sixers' defense, you know, in the first half we talked about, yeah, they got a little lucky with the shooting. They did not get lucky with. I think Giannis had four points in the first half. They did not get lucky with that element of it because Ben, whether it was being physical and walling off his drives, you know, making, making it hard for him to catch the ball. Just in general, there was a nice possession, but then there, there were other plays, you know, I think Tony Bradley got switched onto him once. Nice charge by Danny green, a couple of really excellent help possessions by Tobias and Matisse. Matisse was doing his thing. In that uh, in that first half, as you would expect for a game with a lot of turnovers, he uh, he was certainly creating a bunch of them. I don't think he actually created a bunch of them offensively too, which was good. It was <laughs> I, I honestly like th- this is what I'm talking about when I say overall a pretty encouraging performance. I, I thought they would be dead on the second night of a back to back. Yeah, they, they defended their asses off for the uh, for the entire game, but specifically a lot the of, first. A lot half. of
0: the fatigue seemed like it came on jumpers and not having the legs for the jumpers. Uh, a lot of fatigue came, maybe in terms of decision making, but just sheer effort, uh, especially in the first half, especially defensively. Yeah, it was it was an encouraging
1: performance for sure. And the Bucks couldn't make shots, and we talked about that. The Sixers' legs were gone on open jumpers in the second half. Yeah. They they were just gone. Curry was bricking. Green was Green was missing. Shea couldn't buy one. Court couldn't buy a couple in overtime. Although he made his uh his that patented corner. yep uh, the the corner three. I, Look, that that better be the first play on the uh on the uh out of or on the opposing scouting report at the end of games because Cork is is curling to the corner people and, and he's going to make that shot if you let him catch it. So uh
0: another bad like Dante going for that seal there like don't do that. Just prevent him from getting a clean look at a three. Like,
1: what are you doing? Yeah, the the Bucks did some pretty stupid stuff at the end of uh at the end of that game. It was a- as you Tweeted last night that game was was pretty drunk was, and yeah. and i can't you know I, I do think the bucks that is going to be that's an interesting playoff test because on the one hand i i really do think that the acquisition of drew is gonna is really gonna help them because i, I just think defensively having somebody who can switch another smart ball handler type player he's like he's very good, and so a, and he, a
0: point guard with a little bit of size and strength to him and length might be useful in the playoffs. Yeah, I feel like that might dovetail nicely into uh, trade deadline talk.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we can get we can get in, but I just thought he was very good. Now their bench is terrible; is so bad. I mean, God, they're playing Bobby Portis considerable minutes at backup center. The, the Sixers. When they have Dwight Howard in an all bench unit out there, some of those Milwaukee lineups, I know they had. How many did Portis drop on the Sixers a couple of years ago? I forget. Didn't he have a but, monster game? I, I feel like it, but I, you know, there's there's been so many of these games they kind of bleed together now. <sighs> but you just have a lot of very limited players off Milwaukee's bench, and I, I don't want to just pick on Bobby Portis. There, there are some other guys. It, it's funny, oh, like no, watching I'm- the Sixers all bench lineup against some of those Milwaukee heavily yeah. bench units. I was like, the, the, the Sixers actually match up. Okay. Against these guys.
0: Well, especially right when they're playing semi-decent, like they have been here of late. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and like a lot of people like sort of freaked out, like, Oh, well they gave up DJ Augustine in the uh, PJ Tucker trade. Well, DJ Augustine has been kind of ass this year. Like he's been really bad. Like when you get to the playoffs, you expect that they will run all of their offense through drew and through Giannis and through even Chris Middleton before they run it through DJ Augustine. So I don't think they really, Lost all that much, yeah. He dropped. Uh, Bobby Portis dropped thirty-eight on the Sixers back in the twenty seventeen eighteen season, which was actually when they were starting to be a little bit, a little bit more competitive.
1: Was uh, that the game the Sixers came back in Chicago and they they stole? I believe. No, this was this was in Philadelphia and they lost. Huh. Uh, or no,
0: right, I'm well, sorry, the Sixers won, but it was in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, they well, they stole it. It was, a, it was a late win. No, you're right. It was in Chicago. I was looking at it in Bobby Portis's game log and got my L and W's mixed up. Yeah they Cut. came back and won a one-pointer.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that was okay. Now, now I'm I remember. That was a back-to-back. So, you know, it was uh it, it was a good test for them and I'll just say like overall, like any criticism we have of uh of Ben's offense, which I, I think is is valid. I'm uh, I'm 5'10" by the way. Don't
0: wanna... <laughs> I am 6'2", so I guess I can get away with criticizing him that was funny. That was, Don't and look, the... it was, it was petty, but that's okay. Free. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with petty. I'm not above petty. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just, I like when athletes show their personality and sometimes yeah. that will be, you know, my, my border on the petty side, but, uh, it was a, it was, it was a pretty bad take. It was a pretty bad take. I would have look if if somebody called me the worst sports writer in the world or, or most overrated sports writer in covering the league, I'd probably clap back a little bit too.
1: There's there's certainly more nuance than in in discussing Ben Simmons' game than just calling him overrated. I think that's uh, sure. that's probably fair. No, I I just like that he admitted he saw
2: yeah the, uh, yeah,
1: the criticism. Did, that was uh honestly whatever uh, whatever he said about the short jokes was I, I agree with you. It was pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> but just just
0: it was funny it, because it was unexpected.
1: Usually just ben- him him saying. Yeah, because usually he'll pretend it doesn't happen. Right. And that's not oh, I didn't, that's not I just didn't a Ben thing. It. I didn't
0: watch it. Yeah. Yep.
1: And that's not just a Ben thing. That's uh, a gen- generic athlete or a general athlete thing. And uh, frankly like I would probably say that if I was an athlete too cuz I hate confrontation and you know whatever. I'm I'm a multimillionaire who cares about what these people are saying about me, but I don't know, it humanized him, which was uh, yeah. which was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, like a little bit of a disappointing offensive game. But overall they didn't have Joel Embiid, and that's a, <laughs> right, it's a minor th- deal. A minor very deal. important thing. And so for them to keep it fairly competitive, I-, I think my biggest takeaway is nice job keeping it competitive for the most part. Um You know, it- it's almost it was almost the opposite of the game the night before, where the Knicks were on a back to back and the Sixers just struggled. They were they were in the mud offensively for most of the game. Gotta get out of the mud, Rich. Gotta get, Gotta get out, out of it. The mud. They were stuck in neutral in the mud. I, I think I'm probably mixing my uh my cliches up there. But anyway, they they finally got unstuck as the Knicks looked like a team that uh that was playing the second night of a back to back and they scored fourteen points in the uh in the fourth quarter. So that's uh that's fine. A couple of days of rest and now a uh now a pretty tough road trip, I gotta say.
0: Yeah, well, you've got one more. Well, you got one more against yep.
1: Sacramento. You should probably win that one.
0: Yes, yes. and then you you go you start off that road trip with the Knicks and the Warriors, which aren't necessarily easy games. Certainly not what they would have been last year, but they are winnable games. Uh, before you hit the the really tough portion of this Embiidless stretch. And look, it, it is like they have had two pretty rough nights here offensively in a row. You called the Knicks game. Um, you know, nineties basketball. And then the Kings game was almost like hold my beer. Although stylistically that the, the, or the Bucks game, I mean stylistically, the Bucks game wasn't necessarily like that. Uh, I think the Knicks game was much more of a throwback in that regard, but they'd been playing some real good offensive basketball up to that point, including a couple of games. Um, you know, that, that Spurs game without Joel, the, the kickstart this period was, was a pretty good offensive game. So if they have a couple of games here where they struggle offensively without their focal point, without the guy who runs, most of their half court offense. It's uh it's understandable to some degree.
1: Yeah. Hope, uh, cope Curry is okay. That, uh, that was a little bit scary. He heard, yeah. he heard Drew's footsteps on the, uh, on the fast break and everybody's like, he should have just shot that one. I actually think his his shot would have got sent, but obviously, uh, I wish he would have shot it cause he probably wouldn't have hurt himself in that, uh, in that manner. And, uh, God, something about the the curries and ankles, you know. Yeah,
0: no. Del, I, I, I Del,
1: Del Curry and his family have everything. They they really do. I mean, they 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 really seem to have it all figured out, except keeping their ankles healthy, which uh, it's a it's a minor thing, but it's it's a notable one for a uh, a basketball playing family. Yeah, no.
0: I went to I went to Google Seth Curry ankle, and I I ended up reading about uh, Steph, who had just same ankle maybe two months ago.
1: On the um, ankle that that costed him a bunch of money a yeah, long time ago.
0: Yeah, yeah. It did.
1: Maybe it didn't cost him a bunch of money in a that that was a weird situation where he had the ankle injury and then literally after he signed it he blew up to an insane degree right after. Yep. But
0: he he would have gotten more money without the ankle.
1: I think so. Yeah. Uh, there was pretty significant,
0: and that was always sort of like when we were debating Joel Embiid and whether you should have taken him at third overall. That was always sort of the example we went back to. Like, yeah, a lot of people doubted whether Curry would have a a healthy and and sustainable career Uh, and knock on wood. So far, Joel Embiid's navicular bone has not been problematic here really ever since he came back and not really, I mean, completely ever since he came back and I'm knocking on wood very hard right now.
1: Um, And now they're both Under Armour clients. They are. They maybe are? maybe Under Armour should advertise that. <laughs> yeah. The our, Under Armour our... Navicular 8s or something like that, like to keep keep Joe's feet healthy.
0: That seems like that is tempting the uh the injury gods. Not that I really <laughs> believe in that sort of thing, but I wouldn't in just in case I'm wrong, I wouldn't want to be too aggressive. <clears throat> in that regard. I agree. But yeah, Seth Curry, it, we don't have an update yet on him in that regard. Uh you know, he had that sprained left ankle in the fourth quarter, uh went out, did not come back. We will let you know when we have more information. Hopefully it's nothing. Doc, he always does this. I don't really know, but I don't think it's serious. And then he'll go back to, well, but I don't don't really know. Um, So he's like, I don't have an update. I'm positive, but I don't really have an update for you. Uh, But he did seem to think that it wasn't going to be anything too serious. Uh, But Doc also seems like he doesn't really, he seems pretty focused. uh, and, And like he doesn't, like those periphery kind of things just don't concern him too much during the game. So we will, we'll find out. But yeah, But uh,
1: Speaking of Curry, Doc mentioned before the game that uh, I think it was the first time we've heard it from him. He's like, yeah, he should shoot more threes. Yeah.
0: And like there's been a definite seem like a, a, a shift a little bit. He does seem like more often he is he is stationing himself not at the line, but like a good five feet behind the line. And he's exactly. taking those shots now. Uh, some of the pump fakes are now resulting into sidestep threes. Not all of them. There's still a, a healthy portion of pull up three pointers or pull up two pointers that he is taking, but it does seem like there has been a little bit of a conversation of, Hey, you can shoot from 28 feet, like go out there, especially with Joel, like give us, and I mean, look, Maury pushed that evolution in Houston where those guys would, you know, set up from 30 feet away and, and, and and bomb. And you wonder if that is going to be the case for select players here. Like you probably don't want, um, I don't know, Danny green shooting 30 footers. I don't
1: May- want Tobias shooting 30 footers. No, no, that's, definitely not. That's not, not even going to hit the rim. No, no, no,
0: no. Um, but maybe Seth Curry, I mean, obviously Seth Curry, maybe Furkan could, Mike Scott seems like he could, he'd be okay shooting from maybe who knows. He would, um, he
1: would miss from 30 the same way he'd miss, miss from, from 24.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, all right. So let's move on. There was a, a trade before the game, which left the bucks a little bit shorthanded. We don't talk about it too much because the six were sh- sh- short handed by about seven foot two. Uh, but it did leave the Bucks without DJ Augustine, without DJ Wilson, who are heading... Um, who are not on their team anymore. Who are not on their team. They're heading the Rockets. The um, Bucks got back PJ Tucker. There was some pick swapping going on. So the Rockets have the right to swap um, their, uh, their second-round pick for Milwaukee's first-round pick this year. Uh, Milwaukee got another pick back. I think it was, what, 2023? Their own first-round pick coming back to them and they sent a, a 2022 first round pick to Houston I might have some of those details mixed up but essentially they are trading two first round picks for a first round pick and a second round pick the end result is basically that they're dropping about eight to ten spots in this year's draft to get PJ Tucker is the biggest consideration which I think when a lot of people saw that they thought wow it's two first round picks that's a huge overpay it's really not when you factor in the one that's coming back and a second round pick that's coming back but it is a trade and it's a trade of, of somebody. I think a lot of Sixers fans were interested in and look, I had some interest in PJ Tucker too. And I, when I say that I acknowledge that he has been bad this year and taken a clear step back this year. So far, I wonder how much of that is not having James Harden to create wide open looks for him in the corner. I wonder how much of that is just disinterest because he's a 35 year old on a bad team that uh, has basically Oof. given up their their title contention hopes. And,
1: and by the way, boy, are they bad. They're real oh bad. My,
0: oh, my God. So I wonder how much, like, I, there's sort of those two factors. Plus, also, he's about to be 36, I think it is. He could just also be washed. Uh, and you don't truthfully know. I do think, ultimately, what uh, Milwaukee gave up, which, again, is, is the biggest consideration, is moving back 8 to 10 spots in this year's draft is a fair gamble for them to see whether or not he could turn the corner uh, and and find the productivity he had from two to three years ago. But it is, like I said, it's key for the Sixers because the Sixers might have to match up against them and they can now switch a lot more uh, in the playoffs. It's key for the Sixers because that was a player you could have potentially targeted for relatively cheap. Uh, I had just written about it actually that day, legitimately that day. Thank you for cutting short the shelf life on my story. Uh, I written an article about that. We had a round table. Um, but also, it is interesting to me, you know, with the trade deadline, and this is the first trade deadline where you have sort of that um, play-in tournament factoring in, and you've got, rather than just one through eight, you've got seven through 10 in a playoff tournament to determine those last two seeds. Does that make more teams unwilling to be sellers because they think they can play their way into that 10 spot, into that play-in tournament, into potentially a playoff bid that they otherwise wouldn't be in? And if there are fewer sellers... Does that mean there are more buyers? Probably not more buyers because if you're a 10th ranked team, you're probably not going all in to make that playoff tournament, but it might mean there are fewer sellers. And if there are fewer sellers than a few teams like the Rockets who are out of it, who are definite sellers no matter what, they will have more leverage because there's just less supply on the market. We are now, what? it is the 18th. We are now a week away from the trade deadline. It will be interesting to see how this shapes up. You've got the um, Raptors who have lost six in a row. And if you're a Sixers fan, hoping Kyle Lowry becomes available, you like seeing that. Uh, but again, they're they're still, I think, within that playoff tournament range, and they've they are been decimated with COVID. So maybe they don't sell. I don't know. But it might influence that a little bit. Uh, that is still the one I am sort of holding out hope for.
1: That's the one that you would circle. And, you know, Tucker was somebody who was rumored for the Sixers just because of his history with Daryl Morey. I mean, Daryl sure. Morey...
0: And also like, how say, uh, many, how how long have we been saying like, boy, it'd be great to get a, you know, sort of a, a, a small ball shooting five that you could start switching some of these, uh, Simmons led lineups. Um, he would have fit in theoretically, if you could regain his form from a few years ago, he would have fit in that regard.
1: Yeah. To me, it was always a question of, well, is he just bored right now? Is yeah. he not trying in Houston? Which in some ways is understandable. Like that is a guy who was given his, uh his blood, sweat and tears to that organization and they suck now. And he just wanted to get traded. I am not holding him kind of packing it in against, I'm not, I'm not holding that against him and I'm, I'm certainly not holding it, Um, you, you know, as, as a guarantee that he's just going to be that bad when he gets to Milwaukee and right. he can actually try and, and when, but he, like you said, he's old. So, you know, he just might not be that good anymore. He also is, you know, he's a very weird player offensively yeah. in that his feet just have to be cemented into the ground to get a shot. Cemented. Now, he can make that shot, but he also had the guy who was better at creating that shot than anybody in the league. And certainly he made Harden's life easier on the defensive end. But my God, I mean, I don't think you're uh... – even if he plays with Ben Simmons and it's a small ball lineup and, and all of those things – it's different than having Harden and five shooters or sure. Harden and Capella and, and just standing in the corner there. There is no offensive ecosystem like that in the NBA for him to play in again. Maybe if he went to Brooklyn and all those guys, you're not but that's a, about it.
0: You're not, you're not running P.J. Tucker off floppy? Is that what you're saying? No. He would and, have no idea what to do with his feet. That would be fun.
1: And you know what? There's been a lot of discussion since that Arnovitz ESPN article about, you know, are there too many threes and Daryl Morey's been... It's pretty funny that Daryl Morey starting to say that now, now that he plays for the team that doesn't, or he, he manages the team that you know doesn't shoot quite as many threes now. But I agree, with, I agree with this. The, the guys that you need to get out of the NBA are the PJ Tuckers shooting threes. The, the shots he takes should not be worth the, worth three points. Steph Curry, those should be worth three. So what I am saying is, get rid of the damn corner three. Is what <laughs> that's my that's my hot take for today. Well,
0: the problem is you can't, it's it's tough to push that back. Would you just like the above the break, like stretch it out to, to the yeah. out of bounds? That's what
1: I would do. Okay. Yeah. There's a high school gym in Philadelphia, Roman Catholic, that is really small. It's like a 1950s type gym. And, and there's no corner three to be clear in that gym because just the, there's a lack of width the on, the, yeah. on, on the court. But yeah, that's the, they they have the idea of you just run the perimeter three-point line and and don't you know don't cut it off at the uh at the corners basically
0: yeah to me the only real solution there is i think moving the line back a little bit making it a little bit tougher which by the way if people then get real good at shooting like if you move the line back to 26 27 people people get real good at making that shot you then open up the lane for post-ups you open up the lane even further for drives there is a lot of benefit to you know whenever we talk about the prevalence of a three-point shot it's not so much that you're taking away dunks or layups or transition. You're taking away those 17 footers. You're making them 24 footers. You make those 27 footers. That will help other aspects of basketball and help pretty up the game. I don't have too big of a problem.
1: A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. No. I'm in. Move it back and abolish the corner three. We uh we got ourselves a sport now. I I do think it is a little bit too uh too homogenous and uh and Daryl's comments in that article about you want to have multiple ways to, to win and it, the sport would be at its healthiest. If you have two separate strategies and they're both equally effective, but whoever executes their end of that strategy uh, works the best. I don't know. And it's yeah. something, uh, I mean, honestly it would help Ben Simmons, right? You know, the, the fact that he can't make a three when you have, you know, these guys like PJ Tucker shooting threes like this. Well, if the three point shot becomes harder for the, average three-point shooter then what ben does becomes more effective and uh yeah i don't know we got a little bit off track there anyway pj tucker is a nice pickup for houston i don't think they gave up too much they are already all the way in i mean i mean they just pushed themselves i don't know like like an inch further in i don't even know what else they have to give up by the way milwaukee milwaukee and brooklyn I think they have a very good chance. Eh. I mean, Brooklyn, very good. Milwaukee, we'll we'll see. They are among the contenders for the next few years. My God, they have a chance to be just awful in in three or four years.
0: Yeah. And, well, Milwaukee, that's a much bigger concern because you can't, like, Brooklyn can rebuild on the fly if they need to. Maybe not on the fly, but you can clear cap space and you can be enticing to free agents without having a core necessarily in place. That's true. Milwaukee could never, like, even if Milwaukee clears all their cap space, or even if they go, let's say a Spurs type route and they have a lot of, you know, solid assets that they want to then flip into a major one. You can't flip into a major one because you have no confidence that star is going to want to stay in Milwaukee. If we're talking about ways, the threats to the NBA, the competitive balance and the large market and the destination cities, I think is a much bigger uh, concern to rectify than three pointers. But I agree with you. If you can have multiple different strategies, which are viable in your league, I think it makes for a healthier league. I don't, that doesn't mean I dislike the three point shot at all. Really. I think it comes with a lot of benefits, but anything that you can do to open things up, I think is, is worth considering. I'm not a, not a traditionalist where you can't change anything, which would be stupid in basketball anyway, since the three point shot changed so much, uh, not only when it was introduced, but when people realized it was worth more than two points. Uh, all right. So, What do we got coming up here? Oh, uh, we're going to have a mailbag podcast here over the weekend. So if you have a question, send us an email, mailbag at Sixersbeat.com, and we will get to that. Until that time, we do have a couple days off, so not many games are going to be played up until that point. So give us some questions, give us some mailbag content, so we can get that out to you. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon.
1: See you, man.